We're in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. Choosing love over hate is the topic of tonight's message. And Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 17 here, it says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Our Father, we thank you for the Word of God, and as we go to it tonight, I pray you'd prepare our hearts to receive it. Thank you, Lord, for this passage right here that tells us how we ought to live and behave. And Lord, we do so because we bear the name of Christ. We thank you. He's the ultimate example of that. And we ask now you would just... uh, Open up your word to us as only you can, and, and thank you again for your, uh, the grace given to us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. On uh, just this past week or so, April 4th was the anniversary date of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. He was assassinated 50 years ago on April 4th, uh, back in 1968 in Memphis, Tennessee. And I was watching a, a little kind of a news clipping about his life and of course he was best known for his activism with what we call the civil rights movement but he was much deeper than that as far as it was not only about that but he was a Christian he came from it from a Christian perspective and one of the things that stood out to me about Martin Luther King Jr. was that he took on the role in a very controversial times very dangerous times for him which ultimately ended in his assassination but he took on the, the really the characteristic of someone who was going to love rather than hate. And over and over again, uh, that was in his messages. That was what he asked. He said, if we're going to demonstrate, we're going to do so peaceably. And, uh, and he lived that out in many ways. Uh, whether, you know, and some of the, the stuff that kind of surrounded him, I wouldn't agree with all the, necessarily everything that came out of that. But I would agree with certainly his motives and uh, what he was set out to do, which was amazing, certainly impacted our land, I think, for, for very good. But there are three quotes from Martin Luther King Jr. that I looked at in a series of quotes that I found. And he's often quoted, obviously. But uh, these deal with some of the things, and they were the, some of his top quotes that he had. Um, one is this. He said, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Hmm. And then another one, he says, let no man pull you so low as to hate him. Now, I think he was getting that one from uh, uh, Booker T. Washington, who previous to him had also said the same thing, similar to that. He said, uh, and he lived in a time when it was uh, totally segregated and a time where uh, he faced great um, prejudice and opposition, and yet he was a, a great man. And he started the Tuskegee Institute Um, very educated man and he grew up in very perilous times but his credo was this uh, I will not let any man make me lower myself by hating him and I thought boy that that's a good piece of advice as well and then the other quote by Martin Luther King Jr. was this um, 
There will come a time in many instances when a person who hates you most, the person who has misused you most, the person who has gossiped about you most, the person who has spread false rumors about you most, there will come a time when you will have an opportunity to defeat that person. It might be in terms of a recommendation for a job. It might be in terms of helping that person to make some move in life. That's the time you must do it. That is the meaning of love. And he was referring to, really, the opportunities that abound to, instead of taking vengeance on somebody, doing something good for them. And I wonder where he got that. (laughs) Well, we know where he got that. He got that from the Bible. And uh, the Bible, in this particular text that we just went over in in Romans chapter 12 here, and remember Romans is broken into, uh, as a book, uh, we, we deal with the doctrine, uh, doctrinal passages of Romans, and then it goes into the last section here, chapter 12, to the end of the book, in the practical, how you live out your doctrine, how you live out your core beliefs. And I find chapter 12, as we've been parked here for a while, it's filled with all kinds of good things that sometimes we just need to be refreshed on. Because we live in a world that is spewing hate in every direction, and we have Christians that fall into that, and much of the church today uh, you know, talking about the, the universal church, much of the church has lost its mission and has turned to other things, other causes that are, are of lesser importance than what Christ is about. And that's our mission primarily. And I, I want to go back to that because really our text here, as we looked at the, this evening, it's really about uh, taking those opportunities to choose how to love someone, even your enemies, instead of hating them and taking vengeance on them. Paul writes here, he says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it is possible, uh, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And I find that, uh, number one, it's a a wonderful (laughs) instruction and just simple reminder of what we're to do here. But... Uh, in Matthew's gospel, matter of fact, in uh, Matthew, uh, get to the right verse. Oh, still not there. And oh, I must have skipped over it, but I didn't put it in there. But Matthew and uh, chapter seven, verse twelve, a very simple. It says, "Do unto others as you'd have them do it to you." That's often called the golden rule. And I'm in Proverbs there because this is where that section comes into play here later on. Um, we'll go back to those verses. Sorry about skipping around like that. Uh, But I I think of that because we often, um, much of conflict today in our world and uh, hatred and everything stems out of, very simply, a a selfishness. Whether it be in human relationships, marriage relationships, uh, co-worker kind of relationships, relationships with our enemy, stems out of uh, us saying, well, I'm going to do what's best for me no matter what. And that's not the Christian message. That's not the biblical mandate that is there. It's not the example that Christ led either. And so just stick with me as we look at some of that. Uh, number one, there is this call to peace. And it's interesting because Paul says, do not repay evil for evil, right? Repay no one evil for evil. Uh, our world today, and, and many of us can fall into this trap, and we kind of say, well, you know what? that person deserves what he did to me or did to someone else, and I'm going to go take vengeance. And it comes out in all kinds of different forms. And beware of that. It's a great burden that is too big to bear, as MLK said, right, on that. 
And uh, it says this as well, if it is possible, I like that down there, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, that verse right there doesn't say live peaceably with all men, but it says as much as possible, live peaceably with all men. We do know that there's times where you cannot live peaceably because of whatever, they, they won't live peaceably with you, and sometimes you're called to have to go and defend yourself or to do those things, but as much as possible, and often we don't add or we don't go as far as we could on those areas and I say that with conviction because there are times in my life where I've kind of given up on somebody because they had a problem with me or whatever and I've said just just leave them alone and and they they still come after you and all that and and you say man I'm going to get them back and thankfully the Lord doesn't let me do that or get too far with that often I've had to pull my own heart back and say okay God I'm just I'm not going to clobber them which they deserve but I'm going to walk away from it and I'm going to turn it back over to you on that matter and to do that. That's really what the text here is talking about. Um, there are people out there who are, I guess, complete jerks. That's the way you could put it. And you can't fix everybody that's like that, by the way. But you can walk away from them and you can turn them over to the Lord and say, Lord, you deal with them because you do a lot better than I will. And, uh, and look at that. But there is a call to peace, to live peaceably with all men. And I think ultimately that's where a Christian must start. And we're talking as a Christian here. And I think that played out in, in a community, uh, in, a, in a country, whatever, as a Christian worldview. It really has a, a lot of impact. It really does. And um, we'll talk some more about that as we go down through there and look at that. As far as it depends on you, and you might ask, well, how much does it depend on me? Well, sometimes there's a lot we can do to resolve that in con- in midst of conflict. And you've heard the old statement, you know, it takes two to tango, right? Or it takes two to fight. It does. You, you can't fight with yourself out there, you know. Uh, and I, I, often it just takes one to step back and say, even to be a, a bigger person for it, even when you you are in the right to do that. Uh, Paul warns about that. Live peaceably with all men. And verses 19 to 21, and I want to focus a little more on this part. Um, He says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. And then he says, For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And we have to keep in mind that... um, it's really God who is the ultimate, ultimate avenger and not man. Now, I'm not talking about uh, civil justice that um, nations or governments are committed to. That's a separate topic that we, well, we deal with it a little bit previous to this in Romans 11, but also coming up, there's more on it. And there is, in Romans 13, deals with government and to, you know, the whole notion that government ha- is the God-ordained authority um, even bad government, believe it or not, is part of God's ordained authority. And uh, government is responsible to take vengeance on behalf of God. Now, they don't always do that. They do it sometimes out of greed, out of whatever. There's dictators, there's bad people that come along, all of that, those different forms. But ultimately, God leaves it that way. It is not for the individual to go out and to seek the vengeance or in that way. Not for the Christian anyways. And there is this cycle of uh, avenging that goes on in the world today. Much of that 
you look at the, for instance, in some of, um, well, the Middle East conflict that's going on. Uh, this group goes out and, and kills somebody. This group has to repay that by taking two and killing them. And then it goes this way and goes back and forth. And there's a cycle of violence, they call it. And ultimately, um, God is the one who intervenes in those things, or should. And uh, he will use man to do that sometimes. But if for the Christian, it is not our ministry to do that. God's, um, now, and there's some reasons why a warning against revenge here. And he, quoting there in verse 21, and 20 and 21, he says, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, uh, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And look what it says. If your enemy, oh boy, I jumped on, that's Proverbs. That's where it's found. I'm jumping ahead of myself again. Uh, beware, because vengeance is one, of as, uh, one aspect of God's justice. And again, he's the one that does a better job at it than we do. Uh, if you think in Scripture, the amount of times that God um, took vengeance on people in spite of those who wanted to take vengeance. Uh, think of stories like, well, David and Goliath, right? Remember David and Goliath? You have the account there, and you have a whole nation, the nation of Israel that was there gathered on the one side of the Valley of Elah and the Philistines on the other, and they have this giant who comes down every day and mocks God and mocks Israel. And there was everybody on the side of Israel that wanted to go and, and see vengeance and take out that giant. And ultimately, God would use a very weak vessel. He would take a, a shepherd boy who probably hadn't even, uh, you know, grown much facial hair on his on his face at that point you know he was just a boy and he takes him and he goes down there and he slays a giant in the valley god did it and david recognized that when he writes of that account and it was god that did that but you could think of all the different times that god took vengeance when man certainly wanted it but when left to god he did it far better think of the egyptians right the Egyptians were terrible to the Israelites. They had enslaved them. They had come to a point where they, they had forgotten the history that had uh, you know, actually saved the whole nation under Joseph, the patriarch. Now, hundreds of years later, Joseph's descendants and, and the ch children of Jacob, their descendants, are, are now in slavery. What an awful injustice. But yet it is the norm under man when man, sinful man tries to do what he, you know, get away with what he wants to do. And throughout human history, that, believe it or not, is the normal in a fallen world. But God says, I'll take care of that. I'll take that out. And he defeats the largest army on earth at that time and uh, does so by swallowing them up in the sea, right? God does a better job than we do. <clears throat> I even think of some of the tragic things that happen. Like when David had an affair with Bathsheba, remember, and she conceives... And David has Uriah, one of his mighty men, Uriah sent to the front line and killed. He was the husband of Bathsheba. He was, the, in, in every way, a, a victim of this because, you know, he was a man that was doing what he was supposed to do when David was doing something he shouldn't do. And you'd say, that was just totally wrong, what David did. And, and David should have, he should have been, you know, sentenced harshly for that. Under the law, he could have been killed. And yet, God has a, a deeper pain for David. He loses his firstborn son to Bathsheba, or that, that relationship, 
that son would die and David would have his own household rise up against him and he would be really a, a man that was a remnant of the previous man in those years as he ran and God pressed him hard. God didn't let David get away with his sin. And David was a better man in the end for that. A better man. Over and over again, we see that where God did that. Even in the early church. Remember Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. I don't like that text. You, you read down through that and, and you have in Acts chapter 5, you have uh, the early church and, and God has put it on people's heart to sell their properties and to give their money to each other to help the needy and they're doing things that this radical but they were doing it because god put it on their hearts and ananias and sapphira they were a husband and a wife and they conspired together against the lord oh boy it means they had a little secret meeting and they said hey you know that piece of land that we have let's sell that and let's go to the church and let's show that we sold the land but we're going to do so with uh, you know a pretense we're going to go and say we sold it for this amount which was not the right amount and we're going to give that amount and look like we're really generous but they were keeping some of it for themselves now you say you know is it against god to, to keep money for yourself no but in that case it was they were doing something dishonest and god takes a great disliking to that and he won't let us get away with that very long I think honesty is one of the greatest, deepest parts of a Christian that, that validates our message or it destroys our message. And we know what happened Acts chapter 5. Both of them were buried, by the way. They died. They were struck right down. Hours apart, but they were struck down. And God did the striking. Nobody else did. Wow, that put fear on people. I remember hearing a story from Dick Goopel years ago. When he was in St. John, he was preaching on Acts chapter 5 and Ananias and Sapphira. And as he was preaching it, a guy fainted. <laughs> he said, I, I didn't know if I should continue, you know. And the guy recovered. It's a good thing. But he said, that's pretty scary. You know, the whole church just, you know, what? And I wonder what we would think if that happened more, you know. Watch out. I better hold on tight, you know. God is a way of dealing with things. And he certainly can can get a hold of people and leave the vengeance to him leave the judgments to him he does a better job of it and he won't let it get away will let people get away with things even believers and be careful with that and there's many other instances in scripture where you can see it um, secondly under that point as well there's a better way to get even and I like this in verse 20 he says therefore if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him a drink for in so doing you will heap coals of fire in his head there is a picture here now some think Paul was referring back to a custom that actually originated with the Egyptians when a man was uh, I guess for the better lack of a word that, repentant of, of evil that he had done and he wanted to show people that he was totally repentant of that they would actually take hot coals and put them on their head wow some of us that probably what happened right you wonder and uh that's uh, would be extremely painful and by the way it probably would leave scars as well but it was a clear evidence that that person was serious about at least declaring they had turned away from evil 
And what he's saying here is your enemy, you can do the same thing, actually even worse than, than putting live hot coals on someone's head by just doing good to them. You know why? Because people aren't used to that. They, they aren't. When we turn around and we do something kind for people, I think of that, wow. I mean, that just says a lot. Um, after World War II, or even during World War II, uh, when the Japanese were committing tremendous atrocities against the civilian populations where they invaded, and, and this is well documented, uh, they were doing just awful, hideous things, terrible things. And you can read of that, it's, there's lots of it. And one of the things that, and very few Japanese ever surrendered because they went to the death and believed it dishonorable to surrender, and that was quite an enemy to fight against for sure, for those that came up in the Pacific and, and fought against them, primarily the United States. And one of the things that surprised people so much when there were Japanese captured is that how kind the United States was to their captives. Kind in that, it doesn't mean they, they always treated them nicely, but they were kind in the fact that they, when they captured them, they would usually take care of their wounds, and make sure they had medical treatment, and they would feed them like they hadn't been fed during the war at all. They were living on meager rations, most of them by then. And it really was a shock to many of them in that whole sense. And, the, and I'm not bragging up the United States, because we don't always do things right, but there was a Christian perspective of that. After the war, General MacArthur, who, uh, again, he was, some people liked him, some people didn't, but he believed deeply that the only answer to restore Japan was to send Christian missionaries there because he felt that they needed to change their whole mindset. Boy, try to think of that today if somebody stood up and said, that's what we need in our world. We need to send more Christian missionaries out. But then he was able to get away with it, and, and he called for as many missionaries to come to Japan as, as could. And they had a great open door during those first years after World War II. And many Japanese people will be in heaven today because their avowed enemies were kind to them and mostly took the gospel to them as well. And I don't say that to pat Americans on the back as much as to say that that's a good illustration of that. I think uh, in many ways people did that. And it isn't always perfect and it isn't always that people do that in the name of Christ either. But many of these things are like that. Be because there's a better way to get even and then really the better way is because of the lord commands it and that's from the book of proverbs i've showed you this verse a couple times already if your enemy's hungry give him bread to eat and if he's thirsty give him water to drink and for so you will heap coals of fire in his head and the lord will reward you by the way i still believe that the jews take that very seriously today um it's a charged issue in our world to talk about the Palestinian and the Jewish-Israel conflict going on in the Middle East. It's been going on for now since 1948 uh, in that whole process. But I will say this, that there is no other country like Israel that will send out, today they will send out text messages and leaflets and everything else saying, we're going to bomb that building that you just fired rockets from, and it's going to happen at such and such a time. You better prepare for it. They actually warn their enemy. Then they do it. And then they will go and take the wounded, which are often brought by ambulance, and they'll bring them right up to the Israeli border, and they'll take them and bring them and treat them. 
and they'll take care of them. You say, where principle did they get that from? They got it from the scriptures. And they are one of the few countries out there that when there's a disaster that goes on in our world, I think of the Haiti earthquake, others, they were some of the first to send hospitals and you know, portable hospitals and mobilize doctors and nurses and others. It's a biblical worldview that does that, that intrinsically gives man value, whether he's your enemy or whether he's your friend, whether he's your family or he's somebody who wants to kill your family. And that's different. That, that's totally different. And it, it really heaps coals of fire on people's head when they really see that in action. And we need to see more of that in action, don't we? Who is my enemy, right? Wow. <laughs> uh, we could say all kinds of different things. Sometimes it's people in our own household. And you want to say something just to mm, get them, and it's, say, it's not saying it. Instead, being kind to them, doing something like that. Revenge, by the way, destroys you, but good overcomes evil. And, and that's the case. There are people that will go to an early grave having not slept at night, having all kinds of health complications because they just sat up all night wishing vengeance on somebody. What a release it is when you can give that to the Lord. Now, it's not easy, but I've seen it in action. I, I can't say that I've ever been called to do that in a way that I've seen others, but I've seen it. Um, I've mentioned David Payne over the years, and he was Officer David Payne, killed in the line of duty down in Lewiston. And the man who killed him, who ambushed him and gunned him down, uh, a man he was trying to help, by the way. He didn't know the guy was a wanted felon, and the guy didn't want to be arrested, and he was, he was uh, high on uh, some drugs that he had just taken, and a lot of things. And David walked into that in the mindset he was going to help this guy who had been involved in a car accident and the guy didn't see it that way and he killed David Payne. Absolute tragedy. Uh, a grieving widow and mother left that evening when the other police officers went to her and said, your husband's been killed in the line of duty. And, and you, you say, how can any good thing come out of that? Uh, just a few years after that, David's sister wrote a long letter to the man who was then in the main state prison who was uh, convicted of killing David and wrote a letter and uh, wrote a letter asking, you know, first of all, sharing the gospel with the man and letting him know that in spite of what he had done and the, the evil that had visited their family, that she forgave him. And I don't know how you can come to that sometimes. You say, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Everything in my earthly human nature wants to say, Make sure that guy rots in prison and probably he really should die. And I'll tell you, a Christian can turn around and somehow find that grace, that mercy to extend to their enemies even. And we have it because that's what God has done with us. <clears throat> there it's the positive side of some of this. There's also the negative side here. Um, back there to verse 21, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And do not be overcome by evil. What that tells me is that you can be overcome by evil. It can absolutely suffocate you. And Paul is very simply telling early, you know, these, this, these Christians, don't become evil. 
and don't do what they do. And he's writing to a world in that day of Christians that they were, some of them were suffering great persecution. Paul eventually would be beheaded at Rome and he would be beheaded by, uh, again, in a, in a wave of persecution. The church erred greatly in history when it took up the sword and went out and tried to convert people by the sword and thought it'd be better to behead people uh, or baptize them, one or the other. And um, that isn't what the Christian mandate had. is isn't what Christ said, is it, at all. <clears throat> and I, I, I kind of want to end on this thought right here. I guess the ultimate example for us is Christ himself. Because uh, I could point out all kinds of different people that I've known over the years or, or people I know throughout illustrations and history and all that that were martyrs and you know died in the faith and having prayed for their enemies even and all that or gone and given their life. And, but ultimately it goes back to Christ, doesn't it? He's the one who is our perfect, steadfast example in those things. Peter alludes to not Peter describes that in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 23 he says this referring to Jesus he says who when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously why I like that verse is it's, it's kind of unique in the mindset of describing the mindset of Christ when he was going through death not just any death, but the death of the cross. And Peter brings this in and explains this is what Jesus was thinking and the actions that accompanied it. He says, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. You know, the example there is when they mocked him and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they hit him on the head and they drove the crown of thorns into him and all that and they spit at him. He didn't spit back. He didn't say a word. He did so because he was showing, again, not only by example, but he was showing that that's how God's love is. He extends his love to us even in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? He commended his love toward us. That's back up in the beginning parts of Romans when we looked at that, right? When he suffered, he didn't cause suffering. And yet he could have. Oh, he could have made every one of those people suffer greatly. <laughs> you think of the things that the Lord has caused in just in the scriptural examples of the time. Remember, Miriam, leprosy rose right in her like that. How about those that murmured and complained in the rebellion of Korah and the ground swallows them up? How about the Egyptians and Pharaoh would not let his people go and the, the people of God go and, and, and he causes boils to erupt on all of them, you know? That's suffering. Jesus didn't do that when he could have. He, he could have. And by the way, all those things were right. And God is a, perfectly just to be able to enact vengeance now. But often his characteristic is this, that he's long-suffering, right? And that means he suffers long with us. <laughs> and we're called to suffer long with people sometimes who are against us in those things. And he does that. He says, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. When he was there on the cross, and you have the 
the final words of Christ. Remember what they were? Into thy hands, right? Commend myself, my spirit. That, those were the final words of Christ. He commits his, himself. And this is interesting because God the Son commits himself to God the Father. And he says, you take over. You judge righteously. And Jesus, according to what the book of Romans has laid out very clearly to us, he became sin for us. See, it pleased God to make Christ sin for me. And Jesus willingly committed himself to that, to the one who judges righteously. Think of all the injustices that are committed throughout the centuries and will be committed even in our world today, maybe even tonight going on somewhere where some Christian will lose their life and they'll lose it at the hands of a persecutor or they will have some terrible thing happen to them just because someone hates them and hates their Lord. And ultimately you can stop and say, I'm going to do the same thing what my Lord did. I'm going to commit myself to him who judges righteously. That's the best place to commit. That's the best place to put all of that pent-up stuff. And Jesus is the perfect example of that. In a book by Ray Ortland Jr., he quotes a, a hymn by Frederick Faber. And I like this uh, poem as it is here. He says, Workmen of God, O lose not heart, but learn what God is like. And in the darkest battlefield thou shalt know where to strike. Thrice blessed is he to whom is given the instinct that can tell that God is on the field when he is most invisible. He hides himself so wondrously as though there were no God. He is least seen when all the powers of ill are most abroad. Ah, God is other than we think. His ways are far above far beyond reason's height and reached only by childlike love. Then learn to scorn the praise of men and learn to lose with God, for Jesus won the world through shame and beckons thee his road. For right is right since God is God, and right the day must win. To doubt would be disloyalty, to falter would be sin. Really, we need to go forth even this week with that in our mind that we commend it to the Lord, live for Him. J. Vernon McGee tells of a time years ago, oh, he had a man, they were giving out tracts, and uh, they were in Tennessee, if I remember correct, and he was hand, he, a man handed a tract to another guy, and the guy kind of said, uh, he says, that won't do him any good. He says, um, I can't read. And he's, the man said this, he says, tell you what, instead of reading that, I'll follow you in your tracks. And let me know what I, you know, and, and, and I'll let you know what I see. And I thought, boy, and McGee uses that illustration that sometimes it's more powerful to live out the Christian life than anything that you could write or give to somebody or preach to them or do that. Because it really demonstrates who Christ is. Father, we thank you for your word again. Lord, we've kind of hastily gone down through this little text here. But Lord, I thank you that it is as simple as it gets really and Lord, we are called to a deeper calling than the world, a higher calling, a calling that is to be like Christ. And so that would be our prayer tonight. And we thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.